I think it's really helpful to hear about these encouragements and these reminders of what's going on because in general, I think you would agree with me, we live in pretty dismal times, right? There are many uncertain things happening all across our world right now. Many things that uh, maybe we wouldn't like to be in situations we would prefer not to be in right now. Uh, We're thinking again, and we are November, the year is coming very much to a close. We feel the changing even of the seasons. And yeah, I know many of us are longing for this year to come to an end, to uh, begin a new year and hope that we can begin many things anew. And I think many of us recognize that things will not magically change at the beginning of January 1st. All right. We still wrestle with many things about just situations with health and uh, just even resources and money and jobs, and especially with everything that's been happening over the last uh, couple weeks with even the election cycle, wondering what will the future hold? Um, how is God moving in our midst now? What will the future look like for us as a people of God? There are many questions. We are wrestling with many different forms of uncertainty. But it's in light of all these realities, the questions that I know many of us are wrestling with, that I want to look at another passage of encouragement this morning. I want to look at the topic of faith, because I think it's something that speaks to us even now in these moments of uncertainty. I know that faith is something that many of us understand and think about very much. It's the very core of our beliefs as Christians. Faith is how we are saved. We know the very famous passage in Ephesians 2, 8 is, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is, faith is the, the very basics of what it means to be a Christian. It is the 101 classroom of Christianity. And yet faith is something that so often we don't have a full or a very accurate picture of. I think we can think of many ways, even in our culture today, that we use the word faith and don't fully grasp what it's supposed to be. Right? People think that what faith is, is just having hope that something will happen. Right? Where there's no uh, basis or foundation for that belief, but just thinking, I want something. I just gotta, I, I can't stop believing that it will be true. Right? It's this hollow idea of some kind of belief with no foundation. Even in some Christian circles, and I use Christian in quotes, you, be, you see the, the word of faith movement, which says, I just got to speak something into existence. Right? If you just believe hard enough, if you have enough faith, then that person will be healed. Then you will be successful in your job. Then everything will be made right. You just have to believe hard enough. And even in our closest of Christian circles, some of us think that faith is simply believing or thinking the right things about God at the beginning of your salvation, right? I just know who God is. I know who Jesus is. I know that he died on the cross for my sins. And it was that idea that saved me. And then from there, we can move on. There are many ideas of faith that we have in society, but that's why today, this morning, I want us to look again at the book of Hebrews. And I want us to look especially at a very well-known chapter of Hebrews 11 to understand what faith really is. That in this time, especially in November, with many things happening, many unknowns uh, affecting our realities every single day, that we need this encouragement. We need this reminder about what faith in God really means. Because this is a chapter famously called the Hall of Faith. That the word faith and its variations is repeated over 24 times. It's a recount of stories of, of old saints in the past in the Old Testament. People who lived through difficult times. People who lived by faith. 
And it is the same faith as we're going to see that we as Christians live by today. It is the faith that gives us boldness and courage and confidence to walk triumphantly in God because he is still on the throne. And what we're going to see this morning is that faith is this unwavering trust in God and his promises. It's an unwavering trust in him that leads to an unwavering obedience to God, even in darkness and even in difficulty. And I think that this is going to be a passage that will be encouraging to us to know that whatever trials we may be going through now, whatever trials will be coming in the year ahead, whatever we may be going through, whatever darkness we face, we can walk in confidence. We can walk in hope because we have faith in God. And so the title of our message this morning is Defining Faith. And where that means really two things, that we're going to define what faith is. And I want to bring us a reminder from the word that faith is what defines our entire Christian life. It's not something that we grow out of as we mature in our faith, but it fuels everything about who we are as Christians. And so join with me as we look at the beginning of this wonderful chapter, Hebrews 11. We're going to be looking at the first three verses, but that's really just a a summary for the rest of this chapter that we'll be looking at as well. And so start with me in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is your very revelation to us sinners, that you show us how we may know the path of life. We may know who you are, and that we may have hope even in this season of time. And so, God, I just pray that you would give us clarity of hearts, clarity of ears, that we may know what it means to follow after you, that we may be men and women of faith. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So hopefully you remember just a month ago when we were looking at this letter, what the book of Hebrews is all about. And the main motif, the main theme of this letter is this idea that Jesus is better. He is supreme. That Christ, who is the Messiah, he is the one who is better than anyone else that we saw in the Old Testament. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than Abraham. He is greater than the entire system of sacrifice and priests. But in Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross, our salvation is now secure. There is no more need for atonement and sacrifices. There is no more need to do the old system because Jesus is better. The work of salvation is now finished. And as a result in Christ, because he is our high priest, we have full assurance of salvation. There is no more work that has to be done. And as we're hearing, as we heard in the mid part of chapter 10, the author is summarizing everything of calling us to focus on Christ, calling us to focus on stirring one another to love and good works. And as you go into chapter 10, verse 36, it's a reminder of this. He says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 
And as we looked at just a month ago, he is reminding the readers, I know you are struggling. I know you're going through many hard times. I know you're experiencing persecution. Many of their people have been thrown in prison and in jail. And they were struggling just to provide for their friends who were uh, behind bars. He's saying, I know that many of you have lost your property because of your faith. There are people who are attacking you because you believe in Christ. And amidst your persecutions, amidst your struggles and trials, whatever it may be, you need to endure. You have need of perseverance. You have need to continue to fix your eyes on Christ. And he gives them a warning in verse 37, 38. He said, he's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. He's saying, remember what you heard in the Old Testament. Remember what we know to be true, that God is returning. God will come and call us to give an account for our lives. So do not run away from him. Make sure you persevere. Do not flee from God, but run to him. And remember what you heard in Habakkuk 2.4. That even in the Old Testament, even from the very beginning, the righteous ones, the followers of God, always lived by faith. And that though there are those who will indeed flee away from the Lord, the author has confidence in the believers he's writing to. He says in verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. In other words, I know you're going through hard times. I know you are tempted. I know you are facing so many challenges. And yet I know that because you have faith, you are indeed saved. You will endure until the end. And as we move into this very famous chapter, Hebrews 11, he he, he turns to this expose of what faith really is. That is that when you were saved at the very beginning of your salvation journey, when God grabbed a hold of your heart through Jesus Christ, this is what you believed. This is what you held on to, and this is what you continue to hold on to. This is what saving faith in Christ looks like. And so in a very simple way, we're going to be looking at just the beginning of this chapter and seeing these two aspects of saving faith. That when you first came to know Christ, when you were first saved, when you first experienced the reality of the Holy Spirit and eternal life, this is what you believed. And we see first in verse 1 that faith trusts. Again, it says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that word faith or pistis is a beautiful word. It's the idea, one of the definitions of it is believing something to be true because you believe the person speaking to you. You believe something to be 100% true because you trust, you believe in the person that you're hearing it from. And we understand this idea of belief well in our own relationships because many of us trust the words of our friends and our family. You know, I've mentioned this, but in two weeks or a little bit less than two weeks, I'm going to be getting married. Uh, I think many of you are very aware of this whole process of what we're going through. Thank you very much. Uh, But in the process of of getting ready for the ceremony, we've actually been going through some old scrapbooks and pictures to find old pictures of of what we looked like when we were growing up. And we see many very embarrassing photos that we wish could never return to the surface. 
But through going through all of these old scrapbooks, we've also found many old photos of our parents and grandparents and, and what life was like for them back in the day. And this has led to several conversations and memories of just times of talking, even with my own mother, right? Hearing about what her life was like growing up, right? I've seen many photos of her when she was my own age and even younger. And I love hearing the stories about what she has gone through of what it was like to be born in a foreign country and to make that transition to a brand new land on her own, having absolutely no family members, uh, having to go through this process of being by herself and then being uh, taken in by this Danish family with no biological relationship, but being treated as family because of the family of God. And what it was like to begin the process of marriage and to fall in love and even the process of what it looked like to be healed of the process of divorce and being a single mother. So many stories and so many experiences. And her life is very full. It is full-bodied and full-colored. And I'm sure that if I were to talk to many of you, there are many experiences that you've had in your life that many people don't know about. Many incredible, maybe many terrible, many tear-jerking stories and things that have happened. But I bring that up because as you hear, as you talk with many of your family and friends, I think all of us recognize that we believe many things that we've never seen ourselves, right? You hear stories of what people tell you and you believe it to be absolutely true, even if you've never seen it with your own eyes because you trust that individual, because you trust your parents, or you trust your siblings, or you trust your friends. We believe what people say because we believe them. But the reality is we know that no person on earth is perfect, right? People will lie. People will break our trust. But what it means for us to have faith in God is that we trust God because we know he is perfectly trustworthy and true. We trust every word that he says, even in the pages of scripture, because we know his character. And that's what the author is going to describe in verse six of Hebrews 11, where he says, without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, what is faith? What does it mean to have faith in God? It means, number one, that you believe that he exists. Right? And that doesn't just mean that you believe in a God. You don't just believe that there is a God that exists, but you, you believe in the God of the Bible. You believe in the great I am. You believe in Yahweh. You believe in everything about who he is and what he has revealed about himself in the pages of scripture. That our God is a God that is all-knowing. He is a God that is all-powerful. He is a God that is loving and gracious and just. And you believe that he is a God who is truthful. Or you believe the words of Titus 1, 2, that our God cannot lie. He is perfectly trustworthy. And what verse six is saying is that you also believe that God is the God who rewards those who seek him. That is that as a follower of Yahweh, he is not just simply asking for obedience and then going to punish you, but for those who follow after him, for those who seek after Jesus Christ, you put their trust in him, you will receive eternal reward. That you have eternal life. You have a hope. You have a kingdom that is to come. And that is what faith really is. It is trust in the God of the universe. 
And so that's what that first word is in verse one. That's what it means to have faith. And listen to what this author is saying for us in verse one. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, that the promises of God, everything that he's saying about what we have, they're not hypothetical ideas. They are our reality. And the literal word for assurance there, when it says faith is the assurance, it should be the word substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And that's a very strange word in the Greek, but it's the idea, it's the essence of something. It's reality. It's not something that's just a picture or just an idea. It is what is real. And it makes me think even of uh, my journey to find a new phone, actually. I'm actually looking to join the Apple ecosystem very soon because I realize that as I'm getting married with both of, uh, both of the sides of our family, I'm actually the only Android user. And so I'm always getting lots of flack for uh, causing people to have the little green dot that appears on your uh, iPhones, apparently. But as I've been looking into these new devices and, and trying to look at the different options, I've been spending a lot of the time online looking at pictures, watching videos, seeing all these different iPhones and all their new abilities and camera qualities or whatever those things may be. And I really feel almost like I already have the iPhone, right? To to some degree, it almost feels like it's already here. And yet I know that it's not yet here. It's not yet reality. It's different than actually holding a phone. I'm still in this process of imagining it. And it's not until I'm actually holding the phone in my hand that then it will be real. It will be a substance to me. And in the same way, when the author is saying that faith is the substance of the things hoped for, he's saying that the promises we have in God, everything that Jesus has promised for us as his followers, these promises are real. They are not hypothetical. They're not things that we are just hoping might happen, but they're promises that we take to the bank. And we heard this passage just a little bit ago from Pastor Kempis in Mark 10, verse 29, where there it says, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come in eternal life. All of these things. Yes, you have to give up much to follow after God. Yes, there are many costs and there are many consequences, but you will gain so much more in Christ. This is our guarantee. The promise of eternal life, the promise of your future home, the promise of heaven are indeed our future. And so what Hebrews 11.1 is telling us is this is an exciting thing. That you as a Christian, because you have faith in God, because you believe in him, all of these things that you hope for are substance. They are real. They are secure. And therefore, you have reason to hope in the God of the universe. In other words, when you have faith in God, when you trust in him, you become a forward-looking person. That as a Christian, your eyes are not just set on what's happening today. They're not just set on what's happening in the news tomorrow, but that you know what you have. You know what is promised, and that is what you are trusting in. You trust in God's ability to provide for all things. 
And therefore, we wait, we long, we hope with anticipation. Because that is what we're looking forward to. And as you move on to the, the second part of verse 1, he says something similar, but in a different way that is so amazing. He says next that faith is the conviction of things not seen. In other words, these promises that we hold on to, every single page of Scripture, all the things that God has told us, these are things that we believe, and yet they are completely invisible. I don't think you received a contract, something in the mail that told you on this day you will go and receive your reward in heaven. There was no picture you received in the mail or a video of what heaven is going to look like. There was no physical evidence you got, and yet you believe it to be absolutely true. You know it to be true. Not as a hypothetical, but as something that is real because you believe in faith. And this is exactly the idea that our author is bringing us to when you look at verse 3. The very first act in history, join me looking at this verse. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That is that when you look at the very beginning of the universe, the first thing that happened, the very essence, the, the first thing you look at as the principle for how you believe all other things, even the beginning of the universe came by invisible words. You believe it by faith. I remember going through my freshman biology class in high school when I thought I was going to be a doctor and listening to uh, the biologist professor talking about the realities of evolution and, and things being made by the Big Bang. And I remember her being very vehemently against the idea of creation. She actually scoffed at it. She said, this is an absolute idiotic idea. This is foolish talk. This isn't real. This is the, the belief of stupid people. We know that the world and the universe was made by some kind of cosmic Big Bang. We know that it took billions and billions of years. And to her and to many people in the academic world, the idea of creation by God is folly. And yet that's exactly what Genesis 1 says. It says that the visible universe was made by the invisible words of God. It says that what is seen was made by that which was unseen. And we recognize that we today, it is impossible to verify what happened back then with your own eyes, right? You can't make a time machine and go back thousands and thousands of years to watch God create everything. You, you can't just read a book and watch pictures of, of things unfolding and you being able to be transported back then. You can't see it with your own eyes, but you believe, you know what happened because you believe the invisible words of God. And that's why we believe the pages of scripture, the word of God. We believe every single promise, every single saying, because though it is invisible, though we are listening to just the speech of God, we trust him. We love him. We know his power. We, we believe the miracles, the accounts of everything he did through Jesus Christ. And therefore we hold firm to every single promise. We believe it to be true. And that's exactly what happened to the Hebrews. Because in 1034, it says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. 
These people were suffering greatly. They were losing their own houses. They were losing their property. People were taking it away because of their faith. And yet they were joyful. They were okay losing it. They were okay being plundered because they believed the invisible promises of God. It's not like they had some kind of physical paper from God that magically fell from the sky saying, this is going to be what you're going to have. Here's a picture of your treasure. They didn't have anything tangible. They didn't have anything physical to hold on to. But they believed in God's word. They held on to God's word. And this is the miraculous nature of what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? The, the miracle of why we are saved. It is not something that we did in our own. We believe in the power of God's word. And though we can't see anything with our own eyes, we trust him. We love him. We believe in him. We hope in him. And even as I was studying this passage, I was struck by something that happened just this last week. Many of you know that there is a, a very famous Christian pastor whose son recently died. It was a very sudden thing. It was unexpected. There wasn't anything biologically that people could have known about. It was something that led to great fear, great sadness, and great sorrow. Something which struck the entire Christian community out of nowhere because no one thought that something like this would unexpectedly happen or no one was anticipating it to happen. But as I was reading about it, as we were praying even for the family, I was struck by what this pastor posted online. It was just a picture of his son who is now with the Lord. And the caption read this. It was very simple. My dear boy, my sweet boy, my beloved boy, my missed boy, my waiting for me in heaven boy. And that though his post and many words that he said later on were tinged with sorrow and grief and heartbreak. And even though I myself can never even imagine or know what it's like to lose someone that close to you. And though this man knew that many hard days would come ahead, he trusted and knew that he would see his son again. He knew that he would see his beloved son again in heaven And that though, yes, the days ahead are going to be difficult and hard, he knew that he could still walk in hope and in joy. And again, it's not because he was receiving postcards from the sky. It's not because he saw videos that his son was enjoying time in the Lord's presence. He he had the sense of joy. He had the sense of hope because he believed in the promises of God. He believed that faith is indeed the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. That though he cannot verify with his own eyes, he knows the promises of God and that he will see his son once again. And that is the power of faith. That is the faith that you and I have even today. That is the faith that spurs us on in this lifetime. That whatever is going on, whatever happens tomorrow, whatever happens next week, whatever happens even in the political system, we trust in God. We have faith in God. And I know that's a lot just to say for one word, but it is a powerful word. It's the defining word that we believe in as Christians. And it's important as we turn even to the second verse here. 
Because in verse two, we're going to see that just as much as faith trusts in God, that trust does something amazing. It allows us to obey God. And that's our second part here, that faith obeys in verse two. It says, for by it, that is by faith. For by faith, the people of old receive their commendation. And again, this is just one verse, but it's really the the intro. It's the introduction to the rest of this chapter, which we're going to look at in very brief parts later today. Again, what you're seeing in this entire chapter is it is is a description of all of the saints of the old. You go back to the Old Testament and you see many of our ancestors, many of our forefathers, people who went before us, who went through very difficult times. People like Noah and Abraham and Moses and Rahab. That for every one of these individuals, they went through seasons of difficulty and hardship. They went through times where they didn't exactly know what was going on. They went through seasons where God called them to a form of of obedience. But what it meant for them to obey God would require sacrifice. It would require them going into the unknown. And if you, if you study the Old Testament, if you go through the first couple books of the Old Testament, you see that every single one of these stories is tinged with so much drama, so much unknown, so much fear. And yet in every single one of these cases, every person that I listed here, every person described in the Old Testament, you see how they obeyed God's voice. That though it was difficult, though it was costly, they said yes to God. And what verse 2 is saying is that therefore they were commended or they were approved by God. It's the same idea that you hear in Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that we see that they were commended, they were approved by God. Even how today in 2020, we are hearing about their obedience. We read about their faithfulness to God. And that itself is the commendation from the Lord. But look at what our author is trying to do. Look at how he's trying to draw our attention in verse 2. He's saying, for by faith, the people of old received their commendation." That is that in every single one of these accounts, as you hear every single individual, every man and every woman, their obedience was fueled by faith. In other words, their faith wasn't just this blind leap into the dark. It wasn't them just hoping that something would work out. For these individuals, their faith didn't just mean that they were doing actions to earn a sense of faith before God. But instead, it was their trust in who the Lord was, in his graciousness, in his truthfulness, which led them to look forward. That's the theme for us today. That's the theme for them back then. That just like us, they anticipated the future. They were hoping in who God was and what he said. For instance, you see in verse 9 and verse 10 describing Abraham, one of the patriarchs. It says, By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with them of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham lived a crazy life. 
If you read the story of what he had to do, it doesn't make sense to our modern ears. To leave behind everything you know, your prior family, your, your prior friends, your prior job, everything about your own country, and wandering off into the desert, wandering off into the wilderness. None of those things make sense. And yet, he obeyed God's voice because he saw his true home. He believed what Yahweh said, that those things were going to be true. And as you go through this wonderful chapter, you hear how faith motivates obedience in so many kinds of circumstances. And if you're going to really summarize this chapter, I'm going to give you three different categories. And I encourage you to go back later and actually read through this to see what these individuals went through. But number one, you see how faith obeyed even in great sacrifice. That is that sometimes what it meant to follow after God meant obeying him even when it was costly to you. And one of the examples you see is a story of Noah, a man who God called who was righteous, where God said, I want you to build an ark because I'm going to judge. I'm going to punish the entire world. I'm going to bring great destruction. And so, you know, uh, Noah was called to build an ark, even when he had never seen something called rain, even when there was no rain that had ever fallen on the earth. And he was a man that would have been considered a laughingstock. It would have seemed absurd to build this giant boat. He would have been laughed and scoffed at. And yet in faith, he trusted in the word of God. And though he looked foolish, he still said yes to God and did what he said. You also read about the story of Abraham. As I mentioned before, God came to him in a foreign land of Ur, a place where they worshiped the moon. He said, I am going to make you into a great nation where your descendants are going to be more numerous than all the sand of the sea. And how absurd it was that, uh, at least to the human sight, that God would then call Abraham, a man who for the longest time wanted a son, and it took him years to finally have an heir in Isaac. And that God would tell Abraham, I want you to kill, I want you to sacrifice your one beloved son. The individual who in Abraham's eye was the promised one to bring that promise about, to bring his heir about. And yet in faith, Abraham said, I will trust in God. I will trust in his ability over life. I will trust that his promise to me still remains true. And you hear again the story of faith in Moses, an individual who was born into Egyptian royalty. He had all of the pleasures of this world, all the pleasures of sin at his fingertips. And yet when God came to him and spoke to him saying, I want you to bring my people out of this land, that Moses was faced with a choice. If he were to obey God, that involved giving up all the pleasures of Egypt that involve renouncing all the things that would be his forever, all the comforts of this world, and to join in the sufferings of God's people. And yet in faith, in trusting in God, in Yahweh to provide, he let all of that go. You hear the same faith in the story of Rahab, an individual who lived a very sinful life prior, and yet she turned and believed in the one true God. And that for her, what faith looked like is to hide the spies, to risk her own life for fear of execution if they were found. But that because she believed in the one true God, she had faith in order to leave her old country and to join the new one. 
In every single one of these stories, they trusted in God's word. They had faith. And that faith moved them even when obedience meant sacrifice. Even when obedience meant cost because they believed in God. And what these stories tell us is that we, even today, we don't have a powerless God, right? We don't worship a pitiful God, but that the God of the universe has the power to deliver us in powerful and miraculous ways. We can trust in God. And yet at the same time, faith doesn't always mean that we're going to see a movie-worthy miracle. Because at times what faith means is that we obey in great silence as well. That's what you see in verse 13 to 16 of Hebrews 11. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. In other words, for many of the people of the Old Testament who had faith in God, their faith didn't mean that they saw amazing promises and miracles. But in many cases, it meant that they had to wait. And even Abraham, a man who trusted in God and saw the power of God work, even in the deliverance of his son Isaac, he never actually saw the promise fully fleshed out. He eventually came to the end of his years. He lived a very full life. And yet he died with a very small family around him. He trusted and believed in God, and yet he did not see this this miracle in which millions upon millions of his descendants were before him. He still had to, he had to have faith in God, even in the silence. And as you go through, you hear about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, all the successive leaders of the people of Israel. Yes, they saw God at work. They saw God work and provide in many wonderful and amazing ways. And yet each time they didn't see the full promise unfold. They didn't see the full promised land that was given to them. Their faith and their family grew little by little. And yet they still came to the end of their life. They came to the point where they realized they were going to die. And that their family was not yet in the place that God had promised. But for Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, they still made plans for their future. They blessed the next leaders of the next generation. And in Joseph's case, he said, I want you to take my bones and bring it with you when you go into the land of God's promise. And that for these individuals, what faith meant is that though they did not see the promise with their own eyes, though they were still strangers in a foreign land, they hoped and waited in God for the better country. And so faith means that we obey in great sacrifice. We obey in great silence. But faith means that we even obey in great disaster. And that's that scene in verse 35 of this chapter. It says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. In other words, for many of these faithful saints, many of these people who trusted in God, who believed in God's ability to provide, who believed in God's ability to reward them, the prophets and the messengers of Yahweh, obedience to God meant death. It didn't mean that they saw amazing deliverance. It didn't mean that they, did, that they, they, they got to wait in silence, that life was kind of neutral and they trusted in him. But for them, faith in God, obedience to God meant they actually suffered. They died. And in the world's life, everything seemed like it was coming to an end. But for them, they were okay. That though they experienced tragedy, though they experienced hardship and grief, they had faith in God's promises. And they still obeyed him. And that is the story of faith in Hebrews 11. This is a lesson that speaks to every one of us even now, that trust in God, faith in God means we are willing to obey even if it is difficult. We obey the Lord in whatever cost it is, even if it brings the worst kind of outcome because we know our future. We look forward to our hope. We believe God's promises that that faith is the substance of our hope. We have it now. And this speaks very much to us today. We are going through hard times. We will experience harder times. Life will only get harder for us as Christians. The world will only grow in its evil and in its sin. And so time and time again, the commands of the Bible will clash with our fears. They will clash with our doubts. They will clash with our idols. They will clash with all the things that we naturally want to do, right? You see the commands to give money to God and the church. And yet often you see how somehow your finances are stretched thin. You don't know how you're going to provide for your family. And you're wondering that if you are obedient to the Lord and giving to him, if everything is going to work out, if you will still be able to provide, right? You see the commands to share the gospel, to be open with your own faith. And some of you are in workplaces where they are very hostile to the gospel. And you're wrestling with whether it's better to just be silent, to not speak up about who you actually believe in, because maybe then you will be able to keep your job. Some of you see the commands of what it means to be involved in the church, to serve, to be involved in people's lives. And yet you've been single for a long time. And you're wondering, is God ever going to provide for you a spouse? Is it worth giving up all of this time to the church if it means taking away from your ability to meet other people and to potentially have kids? And some of you see the commands of Scripture to honor and respect your government, to pray for your leaders, and yet you look at the leaders of the country and you strongly disagree in some cases for many good reasons. And what we experience is that the commands of Scripture so often clash with what we want to do. It clashes with our fears and our doubts and our idols and the things that we cling on to. But that's what faith is all about. It's an encouragement that no matter what is happening, no matter what we see in this lifetime, whether it goes amazingly 
whether it goes horribly, we know that we will receive our reward. We know that we have reason to hope that we don't have to worry about the outcome of whatever's happening in this life. We just have to trust and obey God. And that's a song that we teach our kids, isn't it? To trust and obey. To trust and obey. It's a lesson that even our three-year-olds learn to understand as much as they can. It's to trust and obey and to have faith in God. And so that's what this chapter is all about in Hebrews 11. And as we close, I actually just want to read the beginning of chapter 12 because it's the summary of this entire lesson on faith. And what you see at the beginning is it says this, therefore, in other words, in light of all these realities about what faith is, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, what do you do in light of Hebrews 11? What do you do because of your faith? You fix your gaze on Christ. You stop worrying about everything else. You, you push away the sin and the idols in your life. And you fix your gaze and run the race for Jesus. You trust that he is your great high priest. You trust that he is a better atonement. That he has a final forgiveness and a final salvation. And you run to him. And that is the faith that we are saved by. That is what we believed when we first became saved. That Jesus is enough. That we can trust in his promises. That we can have hope in him. And therefore we can obey him even in the unknown. And that faith again is not just an idea. It's not just this intellectual thing that we say once when we first become saved and forget about, faith is what fuels our entire lives. And so I want to challenge you this morning as we wrap up. Do you have a heart posture of this kind of faith? That when you think about your life every day, when you wake up and read the news and you feel the dread of whatever's going on, when you feel anxiety grasping at your soul, do you look and say, God, I trust in you. My hope is in you. I worship you. I believe your promises. I believe my eternal home. And I believe that anything that happens to me in this life is worth giving up because I trust and I have faith in you. Because again, we don't know what's going to happen over these next couple of months. There's much uncertainty. There are many things which we are wondering, we are praying about. And yet whatever happens, we as Christians believe that God is in control. We believe that he still has a plan. We believe that we have his promises in hand. And therefore, whatever the call of scripture is, however foolish it may look to the world, However scary it might be to us, we say, God, I will obey you. Because he is the one who fuels our faith. He is the one that we put our trust in. And he is the one that we love.
Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that today uh, we experience many different fears. We see uncertainties about what the future looks like for ourselves, for our families, for our country. And yet, Lord, we recognize too that you are still on the throne, that Jesus is indeed better. He is the sufficient one. And so, God, we pray that even this morning you would grant us endurance and perseverance. That though we feel the fatigue of this life and this year, that we wonder how much longer we may be able to go on for, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith and our trust in you. That if we are doubting, that you would give us assurance of who you are, that we would see that it is the substance of our hope. Oh Lord, we pray that if there are ways that we are living in faithlessness, ways that we are trusting in ourselves instead of you, that we would so repent of those ways. That we would say, God, you are indeed enough. You are indeed the God of the universe. And so I pray that you would help us as a church, as Calvary Bible Church in this next season, to not walk in fear, to not walk in, in grumbling and anger, but to walk in faith to walk in trust, and to walk in obedience to you, the one true God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And so we thank you. We thank you for the salvation of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray these things. Amen.